I'm very excited to be reconnecting with best-selling author J. Randy Tarabarelli. I have spoken with him on several previous occasions. I believe the first time was to talk about his outstanding biography of Elizabeth Taylor, and our uh, subsequent wow. interviews have included conversations about a couple of different books related to the Kennedy family. In fact, three of them in all. We talked about Jackie Ethel Kennedy, uh, Joan Women of Camelot, Jackie Janet and Lee, and then the Kennedy heirs. Today we are talking about a book which is every bit as fascinating as those books. In fact, maybe even more so. Maybe more so in the sense that I feel like I learned a tremendous amount from the book Grace and Steel, Dorothy, Barbara, Laura, and the Women of the Bush Dynasty. Uh, these are familiar names to just about all Americans, and yet not necessarily people that we know uh, as well as we might think. And that be beneath the surface, uh, they have complicated personalities, have lived complicated lives, and uh, lives that have been uh, amazingly rich and interesting. And they have made a tremendous difference uh, in the lives of uh, the Bush men uh, with whom they have uh, lived and loved, uh, including, of course, two U.S. presidents. And uh, I'm uh, grateful to J. Randy Tarabarelli for joining me today on The Morning Show to talk about this endlessly fascinating book published by St. Martin's Press, again titled Grace and Steel. J. Randy Tarabarelli, we welcome you back to The Morning Show. Thank you so much for having me again. I, I really appreciate it. Every time I, every time I do a book, I uh, I look forward to talking to you about it. So thank you so much. So this particular book uh, was no small feat uh, to put together. It was, in fact, as you tell us in the acknowledgments, a book twenty years in the making. Explain to our listeners uh, what happened back in two thousand, uh, which caused you to, in a sense first launched this idea? Well, as I wrote in the book, uh, in the year 2000, I had the opportunity to interview Barbara Bush for a women's magazine. And in talking to her, I just found her to be so fascinating. And, um, and I wanted to write her autobiography with her. I just thought that would be such a great opportunity for me to tell her story uh, in that way. But she was working on her own book at that time. And so I wasn't able to do it. And I remember uh, President Bush, H.W. Bush, told me, you know, let her get that out of her system and then, you know, we'll see what we see, you know. <laughs> and coming from the president, I thought, well, that, I don't know if that's a promise or, or, or what, but I, I hope he's right. Um, but then I went on with my career and I I wrote, as you mentioned, Elizabeth Taylor, and I wrote you know, Grace Kelly, and I just went on with my, with my career. But after writing Jackie, Janet, and Lee a couple of years ago uh, about Jackie Kennedy, her mother, and her sister, I, I thought, how interesting might it be to do the Bush dynasty in that same way? And I went back and I listened to my interviews with Barbara Bush, and, and I realized that in the course of those those conversations, she talked a lot about her mother-in-law, Dorothy. And I did a lot more research into the life of Dorothy Walker Bush, and I realized that she really is sort of the linchpin to the Bush dynasty. And that that's what really inspired me to want to write this book. You know, the, the life and times of a, of a woman that 
is not well known to the public, who has sort of a hidden history, Dorothy Walker Bush, but who was so important to the Bush family and so important to our culture that I just thought that this would be an opportunity to shed some light on her story. By the way, I just can't resist uh, mentioning something that you yourself uh, talk about in, in this little section called The Story Behind Grace and Steel. Uh, um, at, and that is that as you are kind of taking this up and then putting it aside, this idea of writing a book about Barbara Bush, uh, you end up at that point in time, I think in 2014, putting it aside in order to write a biography of Beyonce. <laughs> and it's just kind of so intriguing to me. And, of course, you acknowledge, too, I mean, talk about two women poles apart. And, of course, that's one hallmark of your prolific and successful career is that uh, you, uh, you're writing about people like Beyonce and Diana Ross and Madonna and Cher, and you're writing about people like Barbara Bush and Laura Bush and so on. Uh, how different do those pursuits feel, or are they all just biographies, and are, are they all essentially the same kind of project, the same kind of work, albeit uh, about very, very different uh, women? Well, you know, the, the, the one thing that I, I think is true of all of my subjects, whether they're, you know, pop music stars, you know, like Beyonce or Michael Jackson, or whether they're political figures, you know, like, like the, the Kennedys or the Bushes, is, is the humanity of their lives. And I, what I look for in a subject is a story that my readers can relate to. Because the, the goal for me is to tell a story that um, a reader can sort of become absorbed in and see him or herself in that story. You know, I mean, I think that what I like to do is strip away the celebrity, the, the money, you know, the fame and all of all of that from my subjects and see what's left and if what's left is a really true human story, then it's a good story for me. Hmm. And in the case of Beyonce, you know, she was, she, she has such a great story of survival and struggle. It really worked for me, but it was such a different experience in writing about a political family. And, um, and that's just a different language, you know, to, to a pop star's life. And, um, and so, yeah, that that was a bit of a of a of a stretch uh, at that time, but I'm really glad I did it because it turned out to be such a fun book, and she's such a great person, mm -hmm. and uh, I had a great time with that. Well, you certainly uh, have done something terrific with this newest book, which is again titled "Grace and Steel: Dorothy, Barbara, Laura, and the Women of the Bush Dynasty." And as you've already touched on, it's really when you came to realize that your book needed to include uh, extensive exploration of Dorothy Bush, the father, the mother of President H.W. Bush. You needed to include Dorothy Bush in the mix for this story to be truly complete. And what a fascinating woman uh, she was yeah. and, and so important to this family. One of the things that you say about her is that, uh, and I believe you might be quoting someone close to the family and saying perhaps the most misunderstood of all the Bush women was Dorothy Bush. In what way has she been misunderstood? Well, you know, the, the, if you read anything about her prior to my book, what you read is 
you know, that she was just a, a gentle soul who was full of love and warmth for her family members. And that's pretty much it. And that's true. As I wrote in the book, of course that was true. But there's so much more, so much more to Dorothy Bush than that. And that's what I wanted to explore in this book. Because she was a feminist long before the idea of feminism had even been conceived. Uh, back in the 1940s and 1950s, she insisted on a marriage of equality with her husband, Senator Prescott Bush. And I found it so interesting that she often coached her daughter-in-law, Barbara Bush, that, that she would say to Barbara, you don't have to do everything that my son tells you to do. Because Barbara was very unhappy in the 1950s in her marriage uh, in, the, in the respect that George Bush had the family move from city to city uh, because of his business concerns. And she would just have to pack up all these kids, five of them, and move them from one place to the other. And then she was responsible for, you know, raising the children. And, and, and George didn't really uh, ask for her opinion about anything. Not that Barbara demanded that he do so, because Barbara was a very traditional 1950s housewife who just pretty much listened to whatever it is her husband told her to do. And Dorothy was so far ahead of her time that she would tell her daughter-in-law, you don't have to do that. You should have more agency in your marriage. Hmm. And, and don't forget, H.W. was her son. So for Dorothy, <laughs> for Dorothy to be telling her daughter-in-law, you don't have to listen to everything my son tells you to do. I, I just thought that was... So interesting, you know, and, and she was, Dorothy was such a fascinating person who, who wrote a political column for 10 years, the 10 years that her husband was a senator. She wrote a column called My Life as a Senator's Wife, and she wrote this column three days a week for 10 years. That's, that's more than a thousand columns, and I had access to all of these columns from researching, the researching of my book which gave me such a roadmap to not only Dorothy's life, but to her influence on Barbara. Mm. Uh, and I just, I, it was almost as if she was, you know, sort of coaching me from, from, from the great beyond as to how to tell her story, because it was all there for me, right in front of me. Wonderful. It was just an amazing experience. And I'm so glad you talk about this uh, particular exchange you were referencing with with Barbara Bush because as you point out it was such a a reversal of what one might expect uh, I mean in terms of of what the older generation would be telling the younger generation and uh, here it is Dorothy Bush who is at that moment in time in a sense being more of the feminist uh, and you you tell us she was really a feminist long before that term was was ever even coined and uh, and and she was this kind of strong woman while being married to a very strong, strong-willed husband, Prescott Sheldon Bush. Tell our listeners about the interesting moment involving a certain desk and the placement of that <laughs> desk, because it tells us a whole lot about their marriage and about Dorothy Bush's strength of, of, of purpose. Uh, it's like, thank you for allowing me to tell that story because I haven't told it yet to anybody, and I love it. You know, when when the Bushes first moved into their home in Connecticut, uh, Prescott, you know, found the the room that he decided was going to be his den, and he moved his enormous desk into this room. Uh, and Dorothy's, you know, sort of little middle desk, her little sort of Victorian desk, was in another room. 
And when Prescott went to work that day, Dorothy and her secretary moved her desk downstairs, and Dorothy was pregnant at this time. <laughs> they managed to get her desk downstairs and into this room that Prescott thought was his den. And when he came home from work, he realized that Dorothy's desk was in there as well as his own and that they would be sharing that space. In other words, <laughs> she would not allow him to have sort of his man cave, which would be called today. She wanted there to be equality. You know, we both get to use this room. And I love the fact that they then use that room as their, their sort of personal inner sanctum. You know, that when they, when they as a couple wanted to discuss the family or they wanted to discuss Prescott's, you know, senatorial obligations or whatever was going on politically, they would go into this room that Prescott had once cordoned off as his room that Dorothy turned into their room. And they would close the door and they would sit on the couch together and they would, you know, talk over everything that needed to be discussed. That's the kind of equality that she sought for in her marriage to Prescott. And, you know, he went sort of kicking and screaming along with the program, but he, <laughs> but he did go along with the program because, you know, she was insistent upon it and they had a very, very good marriage for a very long time. You call her at one point, a woman of substance. Actually, I think it might be Barbara who called Dorothy Bush a woman of substance. And your book really uh, helps us understand just how true those words were. Uh, Barbara Bush is an equally fascinating figure. And one of the things that you help us understand about her is uh, the difficult relationship she had with her own mother, Pauline, which really seemed to have lasting ramifications for who Barbara Bush was and how she saw herself and others. Just say a quick word about what made their relationship so difficult. Well, when I interviewed Barbara, I remember asking her about her mother, and she said to me, you know, my mother had many interests, and unfortunately, I was not one of them. And I thought that was such a sad commentary about her mom. But when I did, when I researched my book, I found that Pauline was a very critical person, um, and she, you know, she, <laughs> she felt that it was her responsibility to make sure other people had which she saw as better lives. And so she was very critical of Barbara and uh, Barbara's weight and Barbara's appearance and had a very contentious and difficult relationship with her. But what I also found about Pauline was that, you know, she suffered for years from depression. And Barbara then later also suffered from depression. And this is during a period of time when depression wasn't really even understood let alone talked about. And people just thought that back in the 1950s, when if a person suffered from depression, people just thought that was a person who was in a bad mood. You know, there was, there was like no understanding of the idea of, of, you know, chronic depression in a person. And Pauline suffered from it greatly, as did Barbara later. And I think that was largely responsible for sort of her prickly nature where not only Barbara was concerned, but the rest of her, the rest of her family as well. One of the things you tell us about Barbara Bush's personality and kind of attitude is that she was rock solid and unapologetic. <laughs> and for whatever warmth 
uh, and sort of lightness of spirit that she publicly projected, and to some extent, of course, shared with, with family and close friends, there was this other side of her, and it could sometimes be a source of, of difficulty. Tell us more about that. Well, you know, the, the I, I'm trying to just sort of summarize it for you, but I, I think that a crucible moment in Barbara's life was the death of her three-year-old daughter, Robin, of leukemia. And in my book, Jenna Welch, who is Laura Bush's mother, is trying to explain to Laura why she's not able to connect with Barbara, because Laura felt that she wanted more of a relationship with her mother-in-law, and Barbara was just sort of not accessible emotionally. You know, there always seemed to be a wall up between Laura and Barbara. And Jenna told Laura, you know, when a, when a mother loses a child, you never get over that. And, and it changes who you are. And, and you have to give latitude to Barbara Bush and, and let her come to you in her, own, in her own time and in her own way. And I think a lot of Barbara's prickly nature, you know, which she inherited from her mom, a lot of it had to do with, you know, just the deep sadness that she felt over, over the loss of her child as such such an early age. And I think it also had to do with, you know, the fact that she suffered from depression as well. Even her own family members didn't know that Barbara suffered from depression until she wrote about it in her book, the book that I earlier mentioned that I wanted to work with her on. When that book came out, maybe maybe 15 or 18 years ago, and Barbara wrote about her bouts with depression, that was news to her family, to her children. Her children didn't even know that she suffered from depression. Wow. You know, it's just amazing, you know, to me that that they didn't know this. That W George W. Bush was astounded to read this in his mom's book. Right. That's how much these things were not talked about, you know? So so I think that uh, you know, you have to understand the total full person and and have and, and have context for their lives and that's what I tried to do with this book. Right, and I think you do a, a marvelous job. And it also helps us re- remind us, although I think we're coming to a better understanding, that that uh, the public face of depression uh, can sometimes be misunderstood. And uh, even someone who projected positivity and vigor the way Barbara Bush did uh, can be actually, on the inside, deeply depressed. And, uh, and indeed, this is something she contended with for many, many years. Uh, your yes. portrait of Laura Bush, I think, is equally fascinating. And one of the things that we learn about in your book in, in uh, much greater detail than has ever really been shared before is an enormous tragedy that was part of her life uh, when she was just a teenager. Tell our listeners, uh, some of whom may have never even heard anything at all about this, about the tragic car accident in which she was a part and uh, the shadow that this uh, lay over her her life for many, many years. Well, you know, um, you're right. Many people don't know about this, and and I I just uh, I'm always surprised at at how little people realize that, you know, Laura had this crucible when she was young, when she was 17 years old. She was behind the wheel of a car, and she was driving with a friend when she ran through a stop sign, and she hit another car. And the, past, the, the driver of that car 
17-year-old boy named Mike Michael Douglas was killed. And Mike Douglas was a friend of Laura's from high school. She was responsible for his death. And this happened when she was 17 years old. Well, you know, obviously the, the, the trauma of this, the emotional devastation of this, and the, the guilt that Laura carried with her for, you know, many, many years after that tragedy, um, changed who she was as a person. And she spent a, a number of years after that tragedy just sort of living in a, in a, in a black and white world, you know, where she became a librarian and she had little contact with people and she was, she was very sort of a, a very internal kind of person who was just suffering until she met George W. Bush. And I like to, I like to think that he added, added a sort of technicolor to her black and white world when they met because he saw in her this sort of damaged person and he wanted to help her come out of it. And he did help her and she helped him. I mean, he had his own demons, you know, he was a heavy drinker and, you know, he was a womanizer and he was a, like sort of a good old boy from Texas, you know, who his family didn't really believe in him. I mean, his family thought that W that W was not going to be the president. They thought that Jeb was going to be president one day. But Laura saw so much in George, and she saw so much potential in him. So he was able to bring her out of her sadness, and she was able to to bring him out of sort of his bad boy years. And and they they they've been married for more than forty years. But to get back to the original question, you know this this crucible that Laura went through when she was a teenager, I think gave her such empathy as a as a first lady. And during the time of 9-11, when Laura was first lady during the tragedy of 9-11, and when she went and visited hospitals and talked to children and tried to, tried to calm America after this horrible thing that happened, it was a moment that she was able to rise to the occasion because of what she'd been through in her life, you know, because she understood pain and suffering and she understood PTSD and she understood how hard it is to get on with your life after a tragedy. Hmm. Uh, she was the perfect first lady for the times, in other words. Yeah, she really was. Served our, served our nation faithfully. And, and, and one of the things that you also explore in your book is the fact that uh, Laura Bush is a Democrat. And, of course, George W. Bush, her husband, uh, uh, is a Republican. And so there has always been, between the two of them, something of a political divide but no divide at all when it comes to uh, their devotion to one another. Um, I think we need to spend a moment talking about Laura Bush's mother, uh, Jenna. She uh, mm. ends up being, in a sense, one of the most impressive women that you uh, explore in your book. And uh, she contends with some of her own difficulty, including uh, the excessive drinking of her own husband, and the thing that intrigues me so much about her story is that you tell us that because of her difficult marriage, Jenna decided to expand her horizons, to expand her life. And we so often hear of, of people in such difficult situations doing just the opposite, 
retreating from the world, shrinking their life. And she did the opposite. And what a great example she was for all kinds of other people, including her own daughter. Yeah, she's an incredible woman. Thank you for uh, allowing me to talk about her as well, because I haven't had a chance to talk about her much during my, my uh, interviews for this book. Uh, and you're right. You know, she she built a life for herself that in some ways didn't really include her husband, who was so emotionally distant. Um, and she became in- interested in astronomy, for instance, and she took classes in astronomy she took classes in bird watching, you know, I mean, she, and she was, you know, she was just so invested in books. But what I love most about Jenna is that she and Laura used to sit on a blanket in their backyard and look at the stars and Jen and, and Jenna, who was sort of a small town, West Texas kind of girl, you know, Jenna was raised in West Texas and you would think that that would be a mother who would tell her daughter, you know, you need to stay here and raise a family and, West Texas is a, a wonderful place for you to live the rest of your life. And that was not Jenna's message to Laura. Jenna's message to Laura is that as they're looking at the stars, she would tell her, this is a big, big world, and you should get out there and explore it, you know? And if you find that West Texas is where you want to be, then you should come back here and live in West Texas. But have the opportunity to live your life. And Laura... At that time, when she was young, her, her whole thing was, I don't want to leave here. Like, I love this life, you know. But Jenna kept telling her that there's more to it. And, of course, as we see in Laura's trajectory, she lived a life so much bigger than the small town of, of you know, Midland, Texas. You know, she, she lived a, a big, big life. And she was not afraid to take on being the first lady of Texas when W became governor, and she was not afraid to take on being the, the, the first lady of our country when W became president. And a lot of that is because her mom always told her that she could achieve anything she wanted to achieve, and she could live any life that she wanted to live, and that there was much more for her than what might have been restricted if she had just stayed in a small town in West Texas. Hmm. I, I just think that that's an incredible mom, you know? Absolutely, absolutely. A last quick question. One of the things I so appreciate about your book is that when you explore these various women and some of their troubles and trials, one of the things you, in a sense, chronicle for us is the different ways in which they themselves would talk about these things. For instance, Barbara Bush and how she and her husband grappled with the tragedy of their young daughter's uh, bout with leukemia, which ultimately claimed her life when she was just four years old. And the way Barbara Bush would talk about that or talk about the final surgery they uh, approved for, for little Robin, that sometimes she would talk about that, sometimes she wouldn't, sometimes she would kind of change that. And that's one of many examples in your book. You clearly not only uh, you know talk to people, but also spend a lot of time with what these women themselves said about themselves and their own lives and uh, and found all kinds of fascinating comparisons uh, between the different ways or the different accounts they would have of what had befallen them. Can you just say a word about just how interesting that in and of itself is for someone like you crafting a book like this? Thank you uh, for asking that question, because it is interesting to me, you know, that, you know, we well, this is what we do. 
you know, this isn't just reserved for public figures. You know, we go through our lives sort of reimagining our past, you know, and we, we either forget what really happened or we just as soon try to forget what really happened. And, and this is how we cope. And, you know, Barbara coped with the death of Robin, you know, by, by many ways. I won't get into it now specifically, but you'll read in the book, you know, that she told herself some things that weren't necessarily true, but it's how she coped with, with, with her daughter's death. And I, I just think that that's what we do, you know, and, I, and, I, and what I try to do with the book is not be judgmental about that. I mean, if, if any reader of my books is ever, you know, critical or judgmental of my subjects, and I have not done my job, because that's not my intention ever. My intention is just to shed light on the human condition. And I want my readers to understand that if, if this is what you have done to cope with tragedy, you're not the only one. You know, that this, this is sometimes how we cope. You know, we tell ourselves the stories that we need to hear to get through the day. And that, that is something that I think that Barbara Bush did in order to cope with the tragedy of her daughter. Mm. Yes, and it's just one more way in which these uh, famous women become still more human to us. The book, again, is Grace and Steel, Dorothy, Barbara, Laura, and the Women of the Bush Dynasty, published by St. Martin's Press, the author J. Randy Taraborelli. Thank you so much for giving the world this fascinating book, and thank you for being my guest today on The Morning Show. Thank you so much. Thank you.